guys, and welcome to another glorious episode of Everyone and Their Mom, a weekly show from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And hey, guess what I'm super pumped about this week? It's almost time to go back to school. But before we start a new school year, let's take a listen back and brush up on some of the lessons we learned last semester at Everyone and Their Mom. Turns out, we actually learned a lot, even though my brain feels super empty. First things first, let's talk rats. A few months ago, we had a burning question. We heard about something unbelievable, and we wanted to know if it was real. Luckily, the well-known rodentologist Dr. Bobby Corrigan came on the show to school us. Bobby, are rat kings real? You know, I don't think they're real. I've never met a fellow scientist that says they're real either. I've dealt with a lot of rats. I've slept in barns with rats. And I've never seen a a rat king where all the tails are tied together. Are they, do you think that theoretically it could happen? Yes. I think where it may have some little bit of science is that, you know, rats might have frozen to death inside a wall someplace in some Mm. winter spot. And they they get together and they do hug or mugger. It's called huggering muggering, where they all (laughs) huddle together to, to share body warmth. Maybe they died like that, and maybe those yeah. tails at that point were entangled. But if they were to get entangled easily like that, they would never survive to the point they are. You said the term hugger-muggering. Is that a scientific term? Well, it's a behavioral term okay. to describe, you know, part of their success, Emma, is they have two secrets to success. Mm-hmm. One is they're not nitpicky about their food. If they have to eat pizza every single night, it's fine by them. They're not going to complain or anything, right? So right. they take in whatever they have to take in. I've even seen rats in Central Park eating earthworms, you know, <laughs> because the uh, litter baskets were cl- so clean at that time. Mm-hmm. So the other secret, in addition to that, is they get together in these groups and they, they can fit into small spaces. You can get a whole family of rats, which is about mm-hmm. 12 to 15 rats, into a basketball. You can fit them in one basketball, all those, those rats. And to do that, they hug or mug her into that tight, tight space. Mm-hmm. And it enables them to survive by not have, needing a big cave or something. Yeah. I just love the word hugger muggering. Yeah. Yeah. It is a great term. I use it all the time as let's hug or mug her and talk about things. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Well, you love, okay. So that's something because when I think of a rat, I think, oh man. I don't love that. But you love rats. What Can you tell me something that would make me fall in love with rats? Well, actually, uh, the first thing you could do that's very quick and it wouldn't take long is get a rat pet. Get a rat okay. pet. And you would see that rats as a species, whether in the wild or whether they're your pet, they're very, very loving. Mm. You know, they're very gregarious. And rats exhibit acts of kindness. Certain rats will go over to other rats with a piece of food. You know, if that rat is, say, an old rat and it can't move around or compete for the food, rats will bring food to that animal to sustain it. Yes, I know. (laughs) So it's it's these kinds of uh, kindness, just like we exhibit when we bring food to friends and families and, and what have you, or whatever we do to help others. Yeah. Do they have little rat thank you cards that they send back to the rats who help them? <laughs> yeah, you know, I would love to see that, you know, but I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> well, we made a game for you. Are you up for playing a little game? Sure, let's go. 
Awesome, cool. So you're a rodent lover, and you're also a rodent controller. So we wanted to play a game we're calling Snuggle, Marry, Kill, okay? Okay. So we'll tell you a rodent, and you tell us if you want to snuggle it, marry it, or kill it. And oh, it seems like you okay. will never choose kill. So <laughs> Probably not. Great. So that makes sense? Yes. Let's do it. Okay, cool. Field mouse, snuggle, marry, kill. I'd snuggle. Snuggle. Possum, snuggle, marry, kill. I would probably marry. I'd marry a possum. Are they just more loyal and trustworthy? Yes, and even though they're kind of gross-looking to some people and everything, they, they're terrific parents and know how to take care of a family. I love that. <laughs> oh, husband material. Great. <laughs> okay, the rat from Ratatouille, Remy. Snuggle, marry, kill. All right, so cute. How can you not want to snuggle with Ratatouille? I, you know, yeah. how, you have to snuggle with Ratatouille. It's Patton Oswalt, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, pizza rat, snuggle, marry, kill. Well, I'm going to give an exception here because it, it's stealing food. It's, you know, running around with, with some of the foods that, that we use. It gives an image of, you know, if there's a yeah. pizza around, it's going to get it. So I'd probably have to maybe think about not tolerating that, maybe even <gasps> killing that animal. I know. I know. Dr. Corrigan. I know. Are you kidding Oh I know, but here's gosh. the here's the important point, Emma. We cannot let rats and mice inside our restaurants or anywhere around our food. So the message That's is fair. we we have to stop that. Draw a line right there. But he's a provider. He's the bread. He's a pizza winner for his family. You don't. You're telling me you don't want to marry someone like that? Well, I do the way you described it. But <laughs> no, no, no. We got to stop that. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Corrigan. This was. I feel like I am a new rat lover. I'm going to make an Instagram fan page. Good, good. We'll make you a junior rodentologist. And as you walk about, you have a new respect for my hope. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was so fun. Okay. Man, talking to Dr. Corrigan truly changed my life. Now when I see a rat, I give it a respectful nod first, and then I scream. Hey, remember the time we had one of my actual real-life professors on the show? And we asked her to come talk about, you guessed it, Witches and Dolphin Pee. My name is Ariane Sajafurus. I am a historian of early America, and I taught Emma last semester in, in a class on uh, witchcraft and magic in the Atlantic world. Yeah, you were okay. my professor, <laughs> which is an awesome class, loved it. And, you know, just throwing this out there, would you say I'm your favorite student of all time? I mean, you're up. You're up there. You're up nice. there. Nice. <laughs> Definitely my funniest student of all time. So. Nice. <laughs> okay, that's better than anything else for me. I'm going to take that. <laughs> well, okay, go with me here. I was talking to a friend and we're wondering, did witches slash healers in the early modern period, the olden days, the 17th century, whatever, taste pee to diagnose people? Um, I think they did. They actually, they, they, there's a story about like, you can taste pee to tell if somebody had diabetes. If the pee tasted sweet, then that was one way of knowing that the person had diabetes. Wow. Yeah. Well, let me back up a little bit because I didn't contextualize. So this week we're talking about the study. These scientists found out that dolphins like swim through each other's urine and like taste it to recognize each other. And for some reason, just like made me think of our class because I know we talked a lot, a lot about like bodily fluids and witchcraft, right? 
Yeah. So like this isn't an example of like diagnosing somebody, but it does have to do with sort of healing or causing illness. Mm -hmm. There are these things. I don't know if you remember when we talked about witch bottles. Yes. Yeah. There would be these jars and people would fill it with various things. So pins, nails, fish hooks, tacks, fingernails, human hair, human teeth blood and urine and like depending on what you wanted to accomplish it would sort of influence what specific things you put in the jar and then you would bury it in the ground and the idea was that if you were sick because of a curse that a witch put upon you by burying this jar filled with like human excrement and other things um, upside down in the ground you would sort of push the curse and the illness back onto the witch pretty pretty interesting yeah it's pretty gross and now i'm wondering does this mean that dolphins are practicing witchcraft you know by like (laughs) using each other's bodily (laughs) fluids yeah it seems like back in like the early modern age like they had a much higher threshold for like super gross stuff yeah i mean i think it's like if you think about it they couldn't bathe as often as we do um they they didn't have like i don't know the kinds of like soaps and shampoos and whatever else we use and um they were like living uh, most people were living in greater proximity to nature like close mm-hmm. to their animals and their their livestock and so things just got kind of gross and <laughs> And I imagine how much it must have smelled. That's something I think about quite often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so many smells, like a potion of smells and, and disgusting yeah. things. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they just, like, think about it. Like, they, you had to work all the time. You didn't have showers. You didn't have air conditioning. Imagine in the summer, like, working in the sun all day in a farm, like, filled with yeah. horse manure, getting sweaty, planting things. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you don't mind, we have a game that we want to play with you. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay, great. Okay, so we have a game we are calling How Magic Is It? So (laughs) you're kind of an expert on magic. So we're going to give you something magical. And on a Yelp review scale of one to five stars, tell us how magic it really is. Okay? Five stars, most magic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. First one, Magic the Gathering. How magic is it? Three. Three three stars. stars. Okay, um, Harry Potter, how magic is it? I like Harry Potter, five stars. Five stars. Yeah. Um, how about a Ouija board? How magic is that? Mm, two stars, because I don't get it. Me neither. I used I to have a Ouija yeah. board, and like nothing ever <laughs> happened unless I did it myself. Two stars. Okay, that's, that's generous. Um, magic Johnson, how magic is he? Very, very magic, five stars. <laughs> five, stars. five stars 10 stars if I could <laughs> yes um, saying Bloody Mary three times into a mirror trying to get her to appear how magic is it that's pretty magic charms yeah, saying things wanting things to happen five stars five stars nice <laughs> how about the trick when you make a quarter appear some behind someone's ear how magic is it one star one star we all know you're hiding it in your hands where's the where's the mystery yeah, Dad. Stop yeah. doing that trick to me. <laughs> um, I want some mystery. I want things I can't explain in my magic. Exactly. Some mm-hmm. David Blaine stuff, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Lucky Charms being magically delicious. How magic is it? I really like Lucky Charms, so I'm going to say five stars. Five stars. Five <laughs> stars. That is a good cereal. When? How often do you get to eat marshmallows for breakfast? Exactly. Well, <laughs> whenever you buy the cereal, which is great. <laughs> okay, last one. Just like dolphins in general. They're, they're oh. such weird freaks. How magic are they? Dolphins are big time magic dolphins are off the charts like 10 star 10 stars greater than magic johnson oh yeah oh. dolphins 
10,000 stars. 10,000 stars to the dolphin. <laughs> well, awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on our show. This was so fun. Yeah. I think we can all agree that the worst part about going back to school is the threat of an oral presentation. You know, when you have to let the whole class stare at you for 10 minutes while you say the most boring things you've ever said in your whole life. Luckily, former presidential speechwriter Sarah DePerry stopped by with some tips on writing the perfect speech. So just to start off, will you introduce yourself to us? Sure. My name is Sarah DePerry, um, and I am a speechwriter formerly for President Obama. Oh, yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, I, I mean, this is maybe a weird question, but like when you're writing for Obama, do you like do an impression of him to like get into his voice? Like, how do you get into his voice? <laughs> yeah, there's an element of that. So the idea of getting someone's voice is not really about how they talk. It's actually about how they think. Mm. And so when I started working for President Obama, the way you know, it's not like he's got a ton of time to hang out with his speechwriters, you know, yeah, we're not like shooting the breeze with Barack Obama. So um, the way I kind of did that was that I sort of absorbed everything that he wrote, said, you know, I was watching, you know, all the late night interviews with Jimmy Fallon, like I was just inhabiting the mind and soul of Barack Obama, which is exactly as creepy as it sounds, but <laughs> sort of like the best way to do it. Yeah. That's so funny. Is, was there a part when he started dreaming as President Obama? Um, I, I wasn't, I didn't like have dreams that I was him, but I did every morning sort of wake up and look at the news and whatever the news was, I never thought, hmm, what does Sarah think about that? Uh -huh. I thought, what would Barack Obama think about that? Wow. I just sort of, you kind of like reorient your entire worldview uh -huh. to, to be through his lens in a way. Yeah. It's like method speech writing. You're always <laughs> in character. I like that. Method speech writing. I right. love, yeah. I mean, speaking of his voice, he, I feel like Obama had a really mem or has a really memorable way of talking. Like mm. he had a little bit of dad humor. Were you like responsible for that? Or like, were you like tuning in to like finding the right places to make a joke? We definitely did our best to insert dad jokes. I'm actually pretty good at dad jokes. And so, and like, <laughs> I figured out kind of his, his, you know, his kind of brand of, of that particular humor. And he often just ad-libbed it, honestly. You know, he'd kind of read the room and see something funny and then just sort of react. Okay, improv. Yeah, that's great. Right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, this week we're talking a lot about graduation since it's graduation season and specifically about graduation speeches, which is why we wanted to talk to you. Um, have you ever written a graduation speech before? So many. Really? <laughs> they are not my favorite speech to write. Oh but my yes, gosh. I've read many. <laughs> why aren't they your favorite speech to write? Um... So, <laughs> so many reasons, so many reasons, Emma. <laughs> so um, one is that a commencement speech is a speech about anything. Yeah. There is no topic. There is no argument to be made. Speakers often make it a speech about everything, uh -huh. which then means it's a speech about nothing. <laughs> and I think that's that's just a really hard place to be. And it's yeah. it can be hard to persuade speakers that they don't need to dole out every single piece of life advice they've ever received or every lesson that they derive from their climb up the, you know, tech startup ladder or whatever the hell they did. Yeah. Well, I think it's it can be challenging to help people really stick to a plan. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of people, like, when they don't know what they're doing, just fall into a bunch of cliches. Yes. 
I feel like a lot of speakers want to just say the thing that will make them sound the smartest or the funniest. What they need to do is say the thing that is the truest to them, mm-hmm. right? What's the one thing you can say to these people? So it sounds like your job is inspiring people to inspire others. Do you have to give yourself an inspiring speech to give other people inspiring advice for so they can give other people inspiring advice too? The circle of inspiration. Yeah. <laughs> um, I will say, I think that the whenever I'm working on a commencement speech, mm-hmm. um, the most inspiring sort of step in my work is to call up the university or college, whatever it is, and get information about students. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I'll even talk to students. That is always a really great experience. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a college student. What would you like ask me if you were trying to get an like, idea of what I wanted? Yeah. So, um, it, you know, depending on what I was going to you for, it might just right. be sort of the basics. So, you know, tell me, you know, where do you guys hang out on a Saturday night? You know, mm-hmm. who is the toughest professor? Who's the professor that everybody wants to get into that class? All the sort of the color that will inform, especially the, the beginning of the speech yeah. so that when the speaker starts, they're, they're kind of, um, issuing what we call how to hells as in how the hell did he know that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, okay, so we have a draft of a commencement speech our friend Hari came up with. It's just off the dome, like it's kind of a first draft, but we were wondering if, since you're professional, can you give him some notes on it? (laughs) All right. Okay, cool. Um, I'll read it to you. So feel free to stop me if you like see something that you want to workshop or praise or something that needs work, okay? Okay, okay. I want you to know that the future looks bleak. And I know that between global warming, a global pandemic, and the possibility of nuclear war, it almost feels like what you've done here is a waste. How are we doing so far? And now let's just all go throw ourselves into the Pacific Ocean. So, (laughs) Okay, you're not going to like this next part then, okay? (laughs) So the next part goes that perhaps if you're graduating from college, that the money you spent is absolutely worthless. And this could have been the time spent preparing for the apocalypse to come. What, what, what do you think about that apocalypse reference? Oh, so I actually think that the, whatever comes next is actually important. So what comes next? Okay, so what comes next is, but I want you to know that there's something good that comes with the end. And that is, if the world does end, you will not have to pay back your loans. Where is he supposed to go next? He's got to go somewhere else. Some version of But Seriously, folks, like for all of this, mm-hmm. for all of these really hard challenges... There is no generation better positioned to try to fix this disaster than you all, than the one that's in college right now. And, you know, as President Obama always said, you're not encumbered by these old ideas. And so every generation before us has at least tried, and that is kind of your inheritance. You gotta pick up the baton and keep going. Thank you, Sarita. I feel so inspired to change the world. But before we do that, we have bigger things to handle. We all know that going back to school isn't just about classes. It's also about seeing all the people you know, but not that well. So when you see them in the hallway, it's like, are we going to say hi to each other right now? Are we not? Well, a while back, I called a person like that from my life to talk about why we stopped saying hi to each other. Because we all know that there's no better solution to an awkward situation than a direct confrontation on public radio. Uh, yeah, just to start off, can you introduce yourself to us? Yeah, my name's Chris. Do you need like a background or is that, is that cool? Like, uh, yeah, do, do a little background. Um, what else? I'm from New York. Uh, living in New York right now, um, doing a summer internship. Excited to be here. 
sweet. Okay. So um, just to put this out there, you don't know why we're talking to today, right? No clue. Okay, cool. So um, can you just, can you tell our listeners how we know each other, like how we first met? Um, yeah, we've, we've had uh, multiple friends of friends. Um, so I, I think it's mostly just been like, um, well, I'd say the biggest thing is we share, share a house at school. Uh, you know, we share a, like cafeteria, laundry room, all kinds of like living space. It's like living in the same apartment. So um, I think we run into each other a lot there and uh, have mutual friends. Yeah. And it's weird because like we definitely know each other and we live <laughs> on the same hall at school. And like we've seen each other like coming back from the bathroom in our towels. But we like I noticed that we sort of stopped saying hi to each other. <laughs> have you noticed that? Passively, yes. Not actively. <laughs> Yeah, why why do you think we did that? Because I feel like I I feel like we know each other enough to say hi, you know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I there's definitely no intentionality there. I, I'm for I'm for sure not blaming you. I'm just like I want to dissect this. I think it's a weird phenomenon when you like know someone but you like don't say hi. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I, I don't, I'm trying to think on my end. I, I would say there's not much thought process going on this at my end. I, I, I think it's like, yeah, who knows? Yeah. <clears throat> Do you think this conversation is enough to get us to say hi to each other all the time now? I'd hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I feel like when we see each other on campus again, or if, I mean, we're both in the city. So if we see each other, we should make like, eye contact and do one deliberate wave and then separate our ways what do you think i mean i think we should be at like high in conversation level now i think i think we're really elevating our 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 level here to be honest how long how long of a conversation are we catching up on a real level like am i telling you about like what's going on in my life or am i just saying what i had for lunch Yeah, I think I think we've like definitely elevated to like at least like ten to thirty seconds of conversation. <laughs> That's huge. Yeah. What I'm hearing is that the ultimate solution for when you don't know if you should say hi to someone to someone, you just have them on your podcast, talk about it in a very real level, and then go from there. Sound I mean, that that won't work for all <laughs> of us, but for you that sounds like a great solution. Yeah. <laughs> well, Chris Thank you. Do you want to end this conversation just by saying hi to each other? Hey. <laughs> hey, Chris. What's up? <laughs> no, nothing much. Awesome. Well, now that you're all up to speed on your everyone and their mom lessons, sharpen those pencils, skim through the spark notes of that book you're supposed to read, and go accidentally call your professor's mom. And good luck, have fun, and thanks for stopping by. Happy school year. And here's the most educational part of the podcast, the credits. This show is brought to you by Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. This episode was produced by Haley Fager, Zola Ray, and Nancy Seichow, with help from Oja Lopez, Blythe Robertson, Lillian King, Sophie hernandez Simeonides, and Boobs McGee. Can I say that? Boobs McGee. Our supervising producer is Jennifer Mills, and our Pinterest inspo board is Mike Danforth. Once again, Lorna White, thanks for our sound. We like it, and we love you. Thanks to all our guests for being the best teachers around. 
I'm going to put an apple on your desk, teachers. I'm Emma Choi, and you can find me at WitWitNPR and Fiddling on the Roof. Is that what that show is about? I have not seen it, but I, sh- I, sh- I know I should. Okay, that's it. This is NPR.